the Old Testament reading today is found in Deuteronomy chapter 15, verses 10 and 11. You shall give to him freely, and your heart shall not be grudging when you give to him, because for this the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all that you undertake. For there will never cease to be poor in the land. Therefore I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy and to the poor in your land. The word of the Lord. Hi, my name is Adrian. The New Testament reading found in Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The word of the Lord. Hi, my name is Lindsay Kirchhoff. Please stand. The gospel reading is found in Matthew 14, 13 through 21. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, we have only five loaves here and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of the broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise be to our Lord. Please remain standing, if you would, just for a moment. Jesus, Lord, you certainly don't need an invitation into this place, but we invite you nonetheless. You have permission. Would you come and would you meet each one of us and us corporately as a body here in this place? Would you open the eyes of our hearts to see you? And would you open the ears of our hearts to, to know and to respond to you and your word this morning? It's in your name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning, New Life Downtown. How are we? Good. Welcome. Hey, my name, like Evan said, my name is Joey Jimenez. I am one of the associate pastors here at New Life Downtown. If you are joining us, if you are just joining us for the very first time in a few weeks, we are wrapping up a series this morning called Worship, Connect, Serve. These are the three things that we as a church, New Life Church, New Life Downtown, these are the three things that we do. These are the three components of ministry. This is every Sunday when we gather together, we come and we worship. Certainly that doesn't just happen on Sunday, 
but then we also connect, and that's what it looks like throughout the week when we do meal groups and we show up around each other's tables. And then through that process of responding to God's grace individually and corporately, then we serve. Here at New Life Downtown, you will hear us say it just a little bit differently, but you'll hear us use the language that we are blessed, that we are broken, and then we are given. And that is language that if you attend, if you are regular here at New Life Downtown, that you have become familiar with, that should be familiar. We say it every Sunday when we approach this table, but it is language It's actions, actually, that Jesus inaugurated, that when Jesus, at the Last Supper, he took the bread, and after giving a blessing, he broke it. And so every Sunday, we use that language to remind us that every Sunday when we come together, this is the high point of our service. It's not necessarily the worship, it's not necessarily the sermon, but it is this table right here that serves as the focal point for what we do when we gather together. And it's at that table, it's at the Lord's table that we get to respond to our blessedness, amen? And it's at our tables that we get to experience not brokenness in a self-pity sort of way, but where we get to experience brokenness for the sake of others, for the sake of others in this church, for the sake of others in our communities. And then the natural overflow of that, we know this, the natural overflow of that is that we are then given outwardly. That when Jesus blessed the bread, when he gave a blessing, when he broke the bread, he expected the bread to be given. He expected the bread to be shared. And therefore, we practice the exact same thing. And so our our sermon this morning is about that third and final step. What does it look like? What is serving, what does the practice of being given look like? So we're going to talk about that this morning. For those of you who know me, my wife and I have a little girl named Reina Louise. And Reina is 20 months old, but she is every bit creeping right on two years. And for those of you who have kids, you know what that window looks like, what that two-year-old window looks like. For us, up until this point, really, we've, we've been feeding, we've been changing, and we've been doing our best to ensure that we don't drop our daughter. And now that she's approaching two, we have found ourselves in this world where we're actually, where we have to parent every day, all day. And our daughter, she is the cutest thing on the planet. Right now, she has learned a couple of words that just send chills down my spine. And I'm a young dad, but still, I'm sitting there going, oh my gosh, you got my wife's really, really good looks, and you got my selfishness. Because these two words that my daughter has learned are this. No is the first one, which is scary for a parent to hear, right? No. I'm like, excuse me? And then the second word is this, and I think it's worse, because this is the word where I'm like, ah, that's not who you are. But the second word is mine. No and mine. We hear that often at our house these days, and it's... You know, it's, it, it, my wife Emily and I are in, this, are in this place where we're, A, we're having really good conversations a ton trying to figure out how do we do this thing? How are we going to parent this girl, right? There's this tiny human being that we believe is, was created in the image of God, and we want her to be raised up and to know that, yes, everything that God the Father has is made available to you. And yes, everything that your mother and I have, everything that exists within these four walls belong, that belongs to us also belongs to you. But, but how do we kind of combat this idea of mine? 
And the reality is we're trying to show her we, want to, we don't want her to just be a good sharer. That would be great. Problem solved. But it's bigger than that, right? We're trying to raise her up. We're trying to raise up somebody in the image that I believe God has set over her life. So we're trying to create a picture for her of this. And the idea is this. And we know this as adults. We know this to be true, but trying to teach this to a 20-month-year-old little girl is exceptionally hard, but we're trying to, to show her that it's not just about sharing, but really, there's an even greater joy that's made available when we learn how to invite somebody to experience the joy that we have in something. Right now, that's a doll for my daughter. She's walking around with a little baby, and we're showing her that when she gets to share that, when there are other people who come to our house, and she actually gets to show them what it's like to pretend to be a big sister and to play with this doll, that it can actually amplify her enjoyment of it. Does that make sense? One of my favorite things to do, and you can fill in the blank, take something that you enjoy, take something that you delight in, maybe it's a hobby, Maybe it's a book. Maybe it's, I don't know. For me, it's fly fishing. And years ago, a friend of mine taught me how to fly fish, and I'm forever grateful to him. My wife now hates him. <laughs> but uh, one of my favorite things to do as a fly fisherman is to go out and fish alone. I love being on the river. I love the time. I love the space. I love being alone with my thoughts. But... The only thing better than a good day of fishing alone, and fill in the blank for whatever that passion or hobby or thing that you take delight in is, but the only thing better than a good day of fishing alone is a good day of fishing with friends. And that's true if it's mountain biking, that's true if it's sharing coffee even, that's true across the board. But I would also suggest this, and most of us I think would agree here too. The only thing better than sharing something with friends is sharing something with somebody who is experiencing it for the very first time. Getting to see their delight, raw delight, unfiltered in whatever the experience may be. I love that. And so when we talk about, when we, when we frame up, when we paint a picture of what it means to prepare the table, that's the image that I think I most naturally gravitate towards. When we think about service, when we think about preparing the table, we are doing so out of the belief that our joy will, has been, and can continue to be amplified when we invite others to experience what we have found, what we're enjoying, what we are taking delight in. And we certainly know that to be true, amen, about Jesus Christ. Our New Testament passage is a verse that I was first exposed to when I was a high school student in San Antonio, Texas, the promised land. I was uh, visiting a camp, and we were serving on a, in an area called the work crew, and we were asked to memorize this passage from Philippians. You guys have no doubt heard this passage before. Your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ who even though he was in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, something to be held on to. But instead, he made himself nothing. It's such a fascinating and mysterious phrase. He made himself nothing, and he took the very nature of a what? Of a servant. I remember learning about this guy, Jesus, when I was a kid, thinking, really? 
If your plan, if your mission was to come and, and to save literally mankind and to restore us into intimacy, restore us into relationship with God the Father, was servant really the best idea possible? I mean, I, I'm pretty sure I read somewhere about chariots. And, and at one point, you talked about a legion of angels. That might have had the force, and people might have seen the power of who you were. But that's not at all what Jesus did. No, he emptied himself, some of your translations say. He became nothing. And he took the very form of a servant. And do you want to know why I think he did that? I think it's safe to assume you have permission to assume that nobody knew the Father better than the Son, correct? And if Jesus knew that he had a three-year window to actually reveal who God was to mankind, if he knew that he had a three-year window to paint a picture, to build a framework for what the kingdom of heaven would be like, he knew that he had a three-year window to do both of those things, so he didn't waste any time. So he chose to be a servant. Why? Because he knew that service was central to the heart of God. I want to say that one more time. He knew that service was central to who his father was. And if people were going to understand, come to know who he really was and what he was like, that Jesus had no choice but to show them the best side of that God, a God who would serve, a God who would love to the end, a God who would not show up in, in a chariot and with legions, legions of angels, excuse me, but a God who would instead show up in a robe and who would eventually take that robe off and watch, wash each one of his disciples' feet. That's how he was going to show them the heart of the Father. Flip with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 14. Jesus paints a, a great picture for us as to why Service is central to the heart of God. I want us to take a look at a story so that we can understand how, so that we, we can begin to see how Jesus actually lived this out. And this is one of my favorite stories. This is a story you guys all know and I'm sure are all familiar with. It's the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. This for me, there are so many stories in this Bible where I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall and this is certainly one of them. Jesus, at this point in his life and ministry, has been at work. He has been talking. He has been preaching. He has been talking about the kingdom of heaven. He's been talking about God the Father. And he's been at work healing people's diseases. He has been ministering to people. And at this point in Jesus' life, he's at a low point. And the reason he's at a low point is because his cousin and good friend, John the Baptist, has just been murdered. And so Jesus, in the midst of his work, in the midst of what he's doing, says to his disciples, hey, guys, let's get in the boat. I need some me time. And he says, let's go, let's go to a desolate place across the pond. Let me read this passage real quick. It's Matthew 14, verses 13 through 21. It says that Jesus is given the news about John the Baptist, and when he hears this, he withdrew from there to, by, in a boat, excuse me, to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, when when they heard that he was going, it says that they followed him on foot. When When he went to shore that Jesus is confronted, he sees a great crowd and he has compassion on them. And he healed their sick. Now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place, Jesus, and the day is now over. It's getting late. 
Would you send the crowds home so that they can go back to their homes, they can go back to their hometowns, and they can actually get food for their bellies? And Jesus looks at the disciples, and he says something, something to them that I think is profound. He goes, no, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. We're going to come back to that in just a moment. And the disciples, looking around, trying to figure out what Jesus meant by that, said, Jesus, we only have five loaves here and two fish. And Jesus said, bring them to me. And then he ordered the, crowd, the crowds to sit down. He wanted the folks to relax. He invited the crowds to sit down, to pull up some grass. And there, once they are seated, this is, this is a crowd of 5,000 men. They did not count the women and children back then. So we can presume it's 5,000 plus a few extra ones. And he says, take a seat. Sit in the grass and taking the five loaves and the two fish, this is going to sound familiar and it should. It says that Jesus looked up to heaven and he said a blessing. And then he broke the, le- the loaves and he gave them to the disciples. And it was the disciples who gave them to the crowds. It says that after they did so, they all ate, all 5,000. It says they all ate. And they were all satisfied. Not only did they eat and were they satisfied, but the disciples weren't done yet. It says they took up 12 baskets full of the broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about 5,000 men beside the women and children. I love this story. There's so much at work here that is out of the ordinary. And the first thing I want to point out is this. When we think about service and we ask the question, how did Jesus serve? The very first thing that Jesus did when he got out of the boat, I think, sets the tone for the entire story. We know that Jesus has just lost his best friend, family. But it says that when he steps on shore, it says that the very first thing that he does is he notices the crowds. You'll see that that Jesus saw the crowds, is the language that we read in Matthew. Jesus saw the crowds and he had compassion on them. You know, it would be difficult to assume that when Jesus got off the boat and when Jesus walking, that he wasn't first struck by the condition of these people. And I mean, it would be hard to imagine that Jesus didn't see sick, that didn't, he didn't see the blind. Of course, he was confronted with a people who were desperate. They ran across the lake when Jesus, when they saw that Jesus was staging a getaway. They ran across the lake to meet him there, and there he sees them. And I'm I'm certain that he was confronted by all of their physical conditions. But there's something so much greater that I think is important for us to understand about service, is that Jesus didn't just see the condition of their physical bodies. He didn't just see the condition of people who maybe looked sad, maybe who were lost, maybe who were lonely. But Mark's gospel goes into a little bit more detail. And Mark's gospel says this. Mark's gospel says that Jesus saw people who looked like sheep without a shepherd. That the physical need was evident. We're going to see that in just a moment. The physical need was obvious, but what Jesus saw when he looked outward, when he looked beyond himself, what Jesus saw was people who were in desperate need of a shepherd. And so what is Jesus' response? It says that he had compassion on them. Compassion is hands down my favorite word in the entire New Testament. And here's why. Oftentimes when we think of compassion, 
Sometimes the first thing, oftentimes the first thing that comes into our mind is folks that think sympathy. That when we think we're going to, that when we think about practicing compassion, we think about being sympathetic towards. And what I mean by that is just being aware of somebody else's needs and wanting to offer what we can into that place. And that is very noble. That's not a bad thing. And oftentimes when we think about compassion, we think about being empathetic trying to empathize with, come alongside, whether or not we have a shared experience or not, but come alongside and give people space to be okay. And that is also a very good thing. But what compassion is, compassion is so much more than the two of those. What compassion is, is it means that something literally inside of Jesus, I won't even try and pronounce the name in Greek, but something literally inside of Jesus had gotten so knotted up that Jesus from the inside out, this isn't a, oh, there's a need, let me fix it, that something from the inside out is happening inside of Jesus to where it was impossible for him not to act. Jesus didn't just see a physical need. Jesus saw a spiritual need too. And he had compassion on them. What I love about that is Jesus tells us this himself. He says that the son can do nothing on his own which I think is a very bold statement. It says the son can do nothing on his own, but only what he sees the father doing. So in this moment, in this place, Jesus, God in the flesh, who has emptied himself, who has made himself nothing, is only moving in partnership, in symphony with God the father. Jesus, in that place, feels compassion for these people, and he begins to heal their sick. What I want to say is this is that Jesus' compassion, Jesus' compassion for others was motivated by an awareness of God's love for others. Jesus' compassion for others was motivated by an awareness of the Father's heart for others. Again, nobody knew the Father like the Son, right? And so when he saw people, he didn't see just brokenness and just physical need. He saw a spiritual need, and that changed something inside of him because he had been that close, because he had been so in tune with the Father. And so then what does Jesus do next? It says that he actually started to serve. Service wasn't just a good idea for him, but that compassion motivated him, and so he starts to heal. There are 5,000 men. We don't know how many women. We don't know how many children, but there are 5,000, which is still a big number. And so Jesus, seeing the need, both a physical and a spiritual, Jesus responding to the Father, then is motivated outwardly and he begins to heal. And one of the things I love about the way that Jesus heals, we don't know how he healed in this story. None of the gospel writers give us the details of what he did on an individual basis or whether or not Jesus just said one prayer, which would have been incredibly cool. If he just said one prayer and then automatically 5,000 people were healed, he is God in the flesh, right? But what we know from looking at Jesus' past stories of interacting with people whom he healed is this, Jesus took his time. So Jesus and his disciples are there, and Jesus models ministry. What I want to say is that Jesus got his hands dirty. He stopped. Remember, he's lost a family member. He's been serving. He's been leading. But he stops. Jesus models ministry, and two, he takes his time. Jesus models ministry, and he takes his time. One of the things I love about Jesus when you look at the way he interacted with people in need of a miracle was that he always stopped. And not only did he stop, but
but oftentimes Jesus could be found reaching out and actually touching. That somebody's condition, a physical, outward condition, did not stop Jesus. The way they looked, the way they smelled, did not actually stop Jesus. And we know that. Again, this isn't in this story, but we know that to be true from other stories of Jesus' healing, but that he would stop. And in one case, he reached down and he made mud for a man who couldn't see, a man who was blind. And he took that mud and he rubbed it on his eyes. He got into his personal space. And I would imagine that he got out of his comfort zone to do it. At least that's the language that we would use to assume that Jesus had a comfort zone. I don't know that that's fair. Jesus modeled ministry and he took his time. He stopped, paid attention, he noticed. And then what happens after that? says that Jesus has probably been doing that for quite a while, and the disciples come up to Jesus, and they say, hey, Jesus, it's getting late. I think it's time. And I'm sure that, like all guys, this is motivated, motivated by the fact that they were getting a little bit hungry. It's late, Jesus, I think it's time. I think we should send them home. Let them go back to their villages. Let them go back to their hometown so that they can find something to eat. And Jesus' response in that moment sheds light on another thing that Jesus thinks and does, when he think, that another thing that Jesus believes about service. It says that when they approach Jesus and they said that, what's Jesus' response? He says, you give them something to eat. They do, not, they do not need to go away. Then he looks at his disciples. He looks at his closest friends. These are fishermen. These are guys who have walked with Jesus and are figuring out what it looks like to do life with Jesus. And he says, you give them something to eat. They don't need to go anywhere. And the disciples, again, in that place go, ah. And so they take an inventory really quick. Jesus has made up his mind. We're Stan. What do we got? And they say, Jesus, all we have, all that we have is five loaves and two fish. All that we have is five loaves and two fish. I mean, I'm not going to fault. I'm not going to throw the disciples on the bus because it's Jesus. I mean, there they are. Jesus is trying to empower. And that would be the other point I want to make about this, is that Jesus does something beautiful by saying that. By saying, you give them something to eat. Jesus is teeing up an opportunity. And it's twofold. The first being that they are going to, that Jesus is teeing up an opportunity for them to have their name on the hat for this miracle, to participate. And the second is this, and the second is perhaps, well, it's certainly way more important. The second is that Jesus is teeing up an opportunity for them to have their faith upgraded. They had seen Jesus do things, but right now they're saying, I think you should send him home. What they see, what they are confronted by, is limited options. On a selfish note, oftentimes when I think about service, I am confronted by my own lack of options. And Jesus does something beautiful in that moment. He empowers them to do the work of ministry. He empowers them. He empowers others. This is Christ the Messiah, but this is also the man who knew that his time here on earth would be limited. The disciples being given, the disciples being sent was always plan A. Those who would come after, those who would consider themselves Christ followers, being involved with the work of ministry was always plan A for Jesus. And so Jesus says something beautiful. 
Jesus, again, looking at his boys, looking at the disciples, five loaves, two fish, still tees it up a second time, and he says, bring them to me. This is, these are, this, those few words, I think, are the capstone for us when we think about service. Jesus says, bring them to me. I know that you're looking at this offering and thinking very little. I know that you're looking at five plus two and thinking seven. I'm looking at five plus two and thinking 5,000 and then some and change. Bring them to me. And so they do, and I hope we don't miss this language. The disciples bring those five loaves, and we said this already. It says that Jesus gave a blessing. He broke the loaves, and he gave them to the disciples. But you know what I love about this passage in Matthew? He gave a blessing. Jesus took their measly, what they thought was meager, but Jesus thought it was more than enough. Jesus took the five loaves, he broke them, and then he gave them to the disciples so that the disciples could then go out and give them to the people. He gave it to the disciples, and the disciples gave it to the people. I love that picture. I love the image there of the disciples then going, I mean, can you imagine if you were to put yourself in that story and to think through for just a moment, you're the one handing out, this is not a come to the front communion, this is I'm coming to your circle on the grass communion, and them going, this has got to run out. (laughs) Hey, Matthew, or excuse me, Peter, James, John, take a look at this, let me know when you guys are out, I'll come refill. No, they just kept going, and it says that everyone ate. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Everybody ate, and not only did everybody eat, but everybody was satisfied. And what I take that to mean is everybody had more than enough. Everybody had more than enough. Friends, when we think about service here at New Life Downtown, when we think about service both as individuals and as a body, I hope that we can think in that same kind of lineage that Jesus did, in that same kind of train. The temptation for us, and I know this, the, the Sunday school voice in the back of each one of our heads, or if you grew up in the belt, there's the voice from a pastor or a priest or a cousin or a brother or an uncle or a third cousin twice removed saying, you're going to serve because Jesus did, no questions asked. And the problem with that kind of thinking, yes, yes, we should, we are going to, yes, I get that, but the problem The temptation when we follow that kind of thought, I'm just going to do it because I'm supposed to, is that all too often we get stuck, or all too often you will find your place, you will find yourself in a place, and I've been there, I know that, where you begin thinking, what can I do for God versus what can I do with and because of God? So our hope isn't the Our hope as a church isn't that we're going to serve because Jesus did, no questions asked. Our hope is this, that we become a people that begins to see as Jesus saw, that we become a people that begins to see beyond just physical, not not noticing, not glazing over the physical needs. Jesus also healed them. Jesus also stopped, but we would become a people willing to see also as God the Father sees both when we look at the needs inward here in this church, because, friends, there are needs here in this church. 
and I don't just mean on our teams, but certainly on an individual, on a family basis, that we would become a people who see and that out of our nearness to God, we would become a people whose hearts actually start to bend a little bit too for others so that they could take delight in and share in the same meal that we get to take so that they could share in the same delight that we have known and get to know in Jesus. But also this, that we would be a people that models in the same way Jesus did, that we would stop, that we would touch, that we would not be offended by the state of what we find. But we would actually pause, that we would take notice And that maybe, just maybe, you would be compelled to touch, to reach out. And then lastly, I would say this. What I love about this story is all too often, when we read it, we think about five and two. We think about five loaves. We think about two fish. And I am there. I am the one going, that's not a lot to feed 5,000. But have you ever thought about this? What about if they only brought one loaf? What if they only showed up with half a fish? Do you know what I think would have happened anyways? I think they still would have eaten. And I think they still would have been satisfied. And I think there still would have been leftover, more, not leftovers as in the meatloaf sense, but leftovers as in more to go around. So church, as we respond, as we think about what Jesus may be, how he may be moving outward and causing you or inviting you to be given for the sake of somebody else, my challenge, can I challenge us this morning? My challenge would be this. You have permission to take an inventory of your time. You have permission to take an inventory of your resources. What's the five and the two? You have permission to take an inventory, but my hope would be that we be a people, that we become, that we grow into a church that believes that regardless of the offering, Jesus can multiply. That regardless of what we're convinced we can afford to give or or what margin we have to serve, that we become a people that's convinced, that believes, not just with our heads, but with our hearts, that Jesus doesn't just have the power to, but has in mind to multiply. Church, would you bow your heads with me this morning? I can tell you, beyond the shadow of a doubt, that across this, within this church, across our city, And certainly around the world, there are physical needs, real world, tangible needs. There are more than just enough here within this church, both on an individual level and on a actual serving within this church level. There are missions here in this city that are desperate for more help. Above all of there are missions abroad that are starving for people who get that starving for people who are so close and intimate with Jesus that they just can't help but move outward. This morning, I'm going to pray that the Lord would begin to stir a little bit, and I know that that's a dangerous prayer. But I'm going to begin to pray that the Lord would just stir, even just a little bit. But rather than moving us into a place of getting stuck, thinking, what should I do for God? I'm going to to begin to pray that the Lord would bring us into a better understanding of who we are in him.
So Jesus. Lord, I'm so grateful that you did what you did, that you chose to show us the Father, that you chose to show us what life in the kingdom would be like, not by lording it over us, but instead by becoming the least of us, instead by serving us, doing for us what we could not do on our own. Jesus, and I'm so grateful that through that, that through your service towards me, through your service towards us, that we get to know an even bigger God. So Heavenly Father, this morning over our friends, over my friends, over this church, I just ask that you would do that. I ask that you would begin to stir. Would you open our eyes that we might be a people who sees the way that you see? Holy Spirit, would you nudge us just a little bit maybe to to slow down and to take pause? And Jesus, would you help us to take an inventory of of who we are and what we have and then lead us in believing, lead us in knowing, Jesus, that you are a God who multiplies. Lord, we pray all of this in your son Jesus' name. Amen.